today's today's reading is Matthew 10:16 to 42. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will drive you over to the courts, flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and the kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. How you are to speak or what you are to say. What you are to say will be given to you in that hour. But it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his children. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, not, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden. They'll be not known. What I tell you in the dark, I say in the light. What you hear and whisper, proclaim it on the housetop. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, them, fear him who can, can should both soul and body in hell. I are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But, not, but even the hairs of your head are all in number. Fear not, therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before me, before man, I will acknowledge before my Father, who is in heaven. For whoever denies me before man, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me who sent me, one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet, or receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he's righteous, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, will by no means lose his reward. Uh, is this just not working at all? I get anything at all? Nope, no good. All right, good. We'll shut this down. And we'll use this again. The good news is that we did receive the new microphones that we ordered. They're all back there in boxes. So that'll come this week. I'm looking for someone to share an adventure that I'm arranging, and it is very difficult to find anyone. Who said those words? Thank you. Thank you, Gandalf. At the beginning of The Hobbit, he showed up 
on Frodo Baggins' doorstep, and that's what he said. I'm looking for someone to share an adventure that I'm arranging, but it is very difficult to find anyone. And friends, the truth is we are likely to respond the same way that Frodo the Hobbit. I'm sorry, Bilbo the Hobbit responded. Bilbo the Hobbit responded. He said, we are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things make you late for dinner. I can't think what anyone sees in them. Church, adventures truly are nasty, disturbing things. They will make you uncomfortable. They will make you late for dinner. They will threaten your respectable reputation. They will disrupt your relationship with others. They may threaten your financial security. They'll have you off doing new and unexpected and maybe even dangerous things, and you never return from them exactly the same. And today Jesus says to his followers, I'm calling you on an adventure. A nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable adventure that is going to make you far more than late for dinner. Will you go? Will you be the one who endures to the end? Remember that last week, for those of you that were here with us, we heard Jesus call his disciples and say to them, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. The way that you've heard me preach, I'm sending you out and you're going to go preach. The things that you've seen me doing, I'm going to send you out and you're going to do them. Now it is your turn. However, he warns them, if you're going to go off and you're going to start preaching the way I'm preaching, if you're going to start going and doing what I'm doing, you're going to be received the exact same way that I have been received. Verses 24 and 25. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, Beelzebub was another name for the Philistine god Baal, and it means Lord of the Flies. Beelzebul is a variant, and it means Lord of the House. And the Jewish people often use the word Beelzebul when referring to Satan. So in today's language, friends, we'd say that they're demonizing Jesus. They're accusing him of operating with satanic power. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, if you follow me, if you preach like me, if you do the things I'm doing, no matter how good the things that you do are, no matter how good the message that you bring, you also are going to be demonized by many. They are going to malign your good as evil. Friends, though we may be demonized by this world, will we follow anyway? In today's passage, Jesus is offering his followers basically a preview of coming attractions. And I promise you, all the attractions that he holds up there, none of those are attractions that we would pay to go to. They're not places that we want to go and to follow. But he calls us to go. Will we follow? Will we endure to the end? Now, as we look at these, we need to recognize that these words are spoken directly to Jesus' 12 disciples. So some of the things here are specific to the disciples. For example, it's doubtful that any of us will be flogged in a synagogue, as verse 17 talks about. However, behind the specifics, 
there are general truths that are applicable to us today. For example, you may never be flogged in a synagogue, but you might face persecution from religious or social institutions of our day. So as we study Jesus' words here, keep in mind that there's both specific applications to his original disciples, and there are the general principles for us, the disciples who live today. And Jesus begins by setting the stage with a dire warning in verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Church, church, don't be fooled. Wolves are not friendly to sheep. No matter how the sheep might try to appease the wolves, no matter how the sheep might try to endear themselves to the wolves, no matter how the sheep might compromise themselves for the wolves, there will be no lasting peace between wolves and sheep. Church, too many sheep today are being lulled into theological and moral compromise in the name of peace with wolves. Don't be fooled. It will be a short-term truce at best. Because compromise will only ever delay the inevitable. Eventually, wolves will turn on sheep. Church, there can be no lasting peace between wolves and sheep. And Jesus warns, don't compromise. Be be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Be wise. Don't compromise intellectually with the wisdom of this world. Be innocent. Don't compromise morally. Church, there are many who have tried to compromise with wolves. There are many who've given up on God's wisdom and embraced the foolishness of this world. There are many who've given up on God's morality and they've embraced their feelings, their passions, their desires. And Jesus is warning us as we embark on this adventure, dangers around every corner, church. There's danger from without because there are wolves that surround us and there's danger from within because we might compromise both mind and morality. So beware, because the one who endures to the end will be saved. And in verses 17 and 18, he warns of persecution not only by individuals, he warns of persecution by state, by authorities, by courts, governors, and kings. Jesus is warning of official state-sponsored persecution. And Jesus says that such persecution is not the exception, it's the expectation. He says that persecution by power is not a fluke in the system. It's a feature of the system. Church, it's easy for us to forget that because here in America, we've lived in a bubble for the last 300 or so years. America, we've lived in an apparent truce with the principalities and powers of this world and an apparent peace. But we see it. The bubble's bursting. Such a truce was at very best temporary because as we've already established, there can be no lasting peace between wolves and sheep, between predator and prey. Because inevitably, the wolves will turn on the sheep. Friends, America has been an anomaly. Persecution by governments and authorities is the expectation in the rest of the world. In the fall of 2020, Pew Research Center reported that religious persecution is worsening worldwide. Friends, 40% of the world faces significant hindrance to worshiping God freely. 
260 million Christians worldwide face persecution today, right now. Since 2007, when Pew first began its survey, the level of social hostility has doubled. Church, understand that 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month. 772 forms of violence, beatings, kidnappings, rape, arrest are committed against Christians every month. And it is estimated that eight Christians are martyred for their faith each and every day worldwide. Persecution of those who follow Jesus by the authorities, the rulers, and the powers is not the exception to the rule. It's actually the expectation. And we've simply been living in a bubble. Friends, isn't this what Jesus taught us? When we studied together the Sermon on the Mount, you remember that the Beatitudes closed with Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church persecution isn't the exception. It's the expectation. Will you follow? Will you still follow? Will you endure to the end? Now, church, understand that persecution, that persecution is not without purpose. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus declares that the authorities and the powers in the state, you're being persecuted for your witness to them. You will have an opportunity to witness. Verse 18, you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Friends, the Greek word for witness is martus. And our English word martyr developed from that word because those who dared to speak the truth of Christ to power, those who witnessed to the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ to power, often died for it. Those martyrs were martyred because, friends, to dare to stand up and speak truth to power, to stand as a witness for Christ, you risk being canceled or killed. But that doesn't mean, church, that we should become quiet. That doesn't mean that we should become quiet. Rather, we saw Jesus said in verses 27, 26 and 27 that now is not the time for fearful secrecy. He says one day everything is going to be exposed. So what you hear me saying in secret, proclaim from the rooftops. Now is not the time to be quiet and draw back. Now is the time to boldly and loudly proclaim your allegiance to Jesus Christ. And in fact, he warns his disciples in verses 32 and 33, don't be ashamed of me. Don't skulk around and try to avoid being exposed in hopes of avoiding persecution. Don't be ashamed of me before men. No, boldly stand as my followers, no matter what might come. Church, at a time like this, At a time like this, church, now is the time for us not to become less clear and less bold. Persecution necessitates greater clarity of position and greater commitment to purpose. 
Friends, if we are going to be canceled and killed, let's be clear what we're dying a martyr for. Now is not the time to draw back. Now is the time to be bold. Now is the time to be clear. Now is the time to stand strong. Church, if we're going to be led like a lamb to a slaughter, if we're going to be led to our cancellation or our condemnation, let it be done with the truth upon our lips, our proclamation bold, and our consciences clear before God. Jesus asks, will you be the ones who boldly and uncompromisingly endure to the end? And friends, when we boldly stand, Jesus promises, you don't stand alone. You will never stand alone. What an amazing promise is in verses 19 through 20. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Or what you are, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Church, we must stand. We must speak. For the Spirit of the living God is within you, church. Your voice may falter. Your arguments may not seem to win the day. And you may suffer ridicule and consequence. But will you dare? Will you risk standing and letting the Father... Speak through you. Will you be one who endures to the end? And Jesus warns in verse 21 that even friend and family are going to betray one another. They're going to turn one another over to these persecuting, oppressive authorities. And later in verses 34 through 37, Jesus warns, if you follow me on this adventure, your family might not follow you. You might go it alone. Friends, we need to understand how shocking that would have been to Jesus' original hearers. In our culture, we value family and we hold family up because family is important. But family was even more sacred in Jesus' day. And yet Jesus warns in verse 36, And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Years ago, there was a a student who was serving as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while he was there, he was working at a small church. And during one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and to be baptized. And during that service, the student noticed that there was a worn out set of luggage leaning against the wall of the church building. And he asked the pastor about it. And the pastor pointed to the girl who had just been baptized. And he said, her father said if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage with her. Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says, if you follow me, if you follow me on this adventure, you may go where even your family and your closest friends will not follow. So will you still follow me? Will you be one who endures to the end? And Jesus warns in verse 22, if you follow me, don't expect to win any popularity contests. Verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But, but the one who endures to the end 
will be saved. Friends, I chose that as the title of my sermon. The one who endures to the end. Because church, that's my prayer for you. My prayer for each one of you is that you be one who endures to the end. That's my prayer for you, but I know not all of you will. Church, as of last month, I have been here at Chestnut Street Baptist for 20 years. And I have watched, no, no, thank you. I have watched too many people who I love decide that they feared being hated by this world and they've walked away from Christ. I've watched too many people I love compromise with the wolves saying, no, 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 it'll be lasting peace if we just change or compromise here. I have watched too many people compromise intellectually with the wisdom of this world or compromise morally with the spirit of this age. There have been too many who have sat in the same pews in which you sat, who have sung the same songs that you sing, who have prayed the same prayers that you pray, and they did not endure to the end. And church, I pray, I pray that you will be ones who endure to the end. But I know not all of you will. Jesus doesn't lie to us here, and I'm not going to lie to you now. The road is hard. You're going to suffer harm and hatred for the name of Jesus Christ, but will you still follow? And will you follow to the end? Verse 23. Verse 23 is clearly an instruction to Jesus' original hearers. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And that was, there's some debate about the Son of Man coming, but most likely it refers to Jesus' resurrection. He says, the message is urgent. You won't make it all the way through the towns of Israel before my death and my resurrection. And church, the message is just as urgent today as it was then. The time is just as short. We don't know. We don't know when he's going to return. So we must go. Just as they went on their mission then, we go on our great commission today. And Jesus is sending us, church. He's sending us forth. And he's sending us forth and he counsels us, have the right fear, church. Have the right fear. Three times in verses 26 through 33, Jesus commands, do not fear them. Three times, do not fear them, do not fear them, church, do not fear them. And instead, in verse 28, he says, fear God. Now understand, when when Jesus or when the scripture teaches us to fear God, he's not saying we should be afraid of God because he's capriciously angry or looking for some excuse to press the smite button. Biblically, What we fear, we obey, church. What we fear, we obey. What we fear, we honor. What we fear, we bend to and we conform ourselves to. And church, if you fear the crowd, you will do what they do. You will bend and you will conform to the crowd. And Jesus says, don't fear them. Fear God. As Pastor Oswald Chambers wrote, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Jesus says, 
have the right fear, church. Have the right fear because the fear of God drives out every other fear because we realize that God's power is greater. God's power is greater. In fact, Jesus asks, what's the worst this world can do to you? Verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says the worst they can do is kill your body. But God has a power greater. His power goes not just in life, but beyond life, into the grave. Even when they kill your body and your body's dead, He's the one who has the authority to judge your soul. So why are you so afraid of those who have lesser power? Do not fear them. And church, while we're here, we should take a minute to talk about hell. Jesus uses the Greek word here, Gehenna, which is translated as hell. Jesus is recorded as using this word 12 times in the four Gospels. And many today are trying to erase hell. Many today are saying that Jesus was some flower-tossing, rainbow-embracing hippie who told everybody to chill out and love one another. But church, almost every single word and warning and teaching that we possess about hell comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus talked more about hell than anyone else in the New Testament. So don't be deceived. There are some scholars today like Bart Ehrman or Rob Bell or others who will point out this Greek word Gehenna. It literally means the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And it referred to a perpetually burning garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem where at one time child sacrifices had been made. And these scholars will say, well, when Jesus uses this word Gehenna, he's not talking about some spiritual or eternal reality. He's pointing to that kind of place of temporal suffering. You know, the the temporal suffering that our unkindness brings upon other people. In other words, if we are disobedient, we create a kind of hell on earth. And friends, someday I will preach an entire sermon to you about how unbelievably poor this argument is. But for today, we're simply going to take Jesus' words as they are, and we're going to replace this word Gehenna with the word garbage dump and see if the teaching still makes sense to us. So Matthew 10:28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. How does one destroy a body and a soul in a garbage dump. Friends, here and every other time, Jesus uses the word Gehenna. It's correctly translated as hell. And he is using a physical image to illustrate a spiritual reality. And friends, he does it with a warning. There's still time. Repent. Because there is a judgment coming, and it's horrible. It's more horrible than you can see or than you can imagine. There is a judgment coming. The time is still here. Repent. Fear not those who have only power here. Fear him who has power over the physical and the spiritual, the material and the immaterial. Fear him who has power in life and death. Fear God and turn to him in repentance. And friends, some might hear this and it sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, listen, God is bigger and badder and he carries the biggest stick, so be afraid of him. But understand, Jesus is not saying that God is trying to bully or intimidate anyone into belief. 
What does Jesus emphasize God uses his great power for? What does Jesus emphasize God uses his power for? Verses 29 through 31, Jesus says God in his great power, he doesn't even forget the sparrows. With his great power, he's numbered all of the hairs on your heads. Verse Chapter 10, verse 31, fear not, therefore, because you are of more value than many sparrows. Friends, Jesus emphasizes God's great power as opposed to the crowd's power not to bully or intimidate anyone into trusting him. He's emphasizing the great power with which God holds and cares for those that are his own. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, even if the crowd rejects you, even if they kill your body, Jesus says God's power is greater. And God won't forget you. He uses his great power and it's greater than their power. So don't bend to them. Bow to him. Church, this is our gospel confidence. This is the good news of the power and the care of Christ for his people. As we often sing as a church, no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I stand. Or as we declared this morning, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Jesus says, fear not the crowd, fear not their power, because God's power is greater. And he will hold you fast, because aren't you of more value than sparrows? And yet he holds them. He will hold you fast. Church, who do you fear? Will you endure to the end? Because Jesus comes in verse 38 to the heart of discipleship. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Friends, under Roman law, a criminal condemned to death would carry his own cross to the execution site. And we know that one day Jesus himself did just that. So when Jesus says, take your cross and follow me, they knew exactly what he was talking about. He was calling them to come and to die. Jesus says to his followers, I'm calling you to come and to die. He says, count the cost of following me because I'm calling you to die to yourself, to die to your old life, to die to your family, to die to your desires, to die to your identity, to die to your proclivities, to die to your rights. Count the cost because if you follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Will you still follow? Will you endure to the end? In verse 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, church, beware. Beware because there are so many personalities and philosophies today promising, follow me and you'll gain the whole world. You see it in every ad, every commercial. You see it promised implicitly and explicitly by many. Follow me and gain the whole world. Jesus says, follow me and you're going to lose the whole world. But you'll gain me. But you'll gain me. And church, there is no other teaching of Jesus Christ that's given more emphasis in the Gospels than this one. In all four Gospels, we find this teaching of Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will, will gain it. 
We find it in all four Gospels and in a couple of the Gospels twice. In fact, we're going to find this again in Matthew 16. Jesus has to repeat this teaching over and over and over again because, church, this is at the center of our human condition. We spend our lives trying to save our lives. We spend our whole life chasing after power and possessions and prestige because somehow we think that those things are going to give us life. Or maybe prevent suffering. Maybe even postpone death. Or maybe we simply decide to chase after pleasure because we want to avoid facing our pain and our emptiness and our own morality. Mortality, that is. So we waste our minutes and our moments trying to gain the whole world that we might find fulfillment, meaning, and life. And Jesus says, don't waste your life. You can gain the whole world and still lose your soul. Or as Pastor Francis Chan warned, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Church, are you going to be successful and gain the whole world only to find those things don't matter? Jesus says, lose your life. Lose your life. Don't waste it. Don't gain the whole world and lose your soul. Jesus says, lose your life. Invest everything that you have and all that you are for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of my gospel because there and there alone is true life. So die to yourself, take up your cross, and live to me. Church, we can see that this adventure of following Jesus, this is not comfortable. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for the casually committed. Because if you choose to really follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. You will suffer persecution and rejection. You will be maligned and misunderstood. You will be canceled and maybe killed. But church, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Will you be one who endures to the end? Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us in our weakness and help us as we come to the table in just a minute. As we receive your holy food. May we be strengthened. May we be encouraged. May we be changed. Father God, give us strength that we might endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Church before.